0: Chapter 4 of Esther Reed's Namesake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy. Chapter 4 Joram Pratt. It was that phrase, running after the boys, which made Esther's face flame, and almost before she knew it, the angry protest would flow from her lips. I don't run after the boys, Aunt Sarah, and you know I don't. Will Watson and Fred Mitchell are both in my class and they are the only scholars in our grade who live out this way. When they happen to turn the corner at the same time I do, of course we walk along together. Why shouldn't we? They are nice boys, and if father and mother don't object to our walking down the street together, I don't see why you should. But by that time Aunt Sarah's nerves would have got quite beyond her control, and her high-keyed voice would penetrate to the minister's study. "'Yes, there is some more of your impudence,' That is just the same as telling me that it is none of my business what you do. It is a pity your father couldn't hear you when you get on your high heels and talk saucy to me. Much as he humors and spoils you, he is too thoroughly a gentleman to allow that. And your mother, too, my lady. What do you suppose she will say when I tell her you have as good as told me to mind my own business? Then would come a distinct, sorrowful voice from the little study. Daughter! "'even while Esther, angry, ashamed, and penitent all at once, "'would attempt an explanation. "'I didn't say that, Aunt Sarah, "'and you must know that I couldn't mean any such thing. "'What I meant was—oh, dear!' "'The words would be stopped by a rush of tears, "'and a hurried exit from the room, "'her aunt's last words resounding in her ears. "'Oh, yes, you meant perfection, of course. "'You always do, or you would like your father to think so.' If Aunt Sarah could have heard the words poured into that father's ears two minutes afterward, it might or might not have modified her opinion of Esther. "'Oh, father, I've been talking again, making Aunt Sarah angry and saying horrid things. She says I have, but I didn't mean to be horrid, father, and I didn't say what she thinks I did. But she says I run after the boys, and I can't—oh, father!' And then a perfect torrent of tears and sobs would drown further words." by dint of a good deal of patient waiting and some soothing and much questioning mr randall would arrive at very nearly the truth by that time there would be no need to chide for esther would be in the depths of the valley of humiliation and with bitter self-reproaches would sob out her shame and disappointment she had meant to be so careful and never annoy aunt sarah again she had promised mother and she had promised herself that no matter what was said to her she would not answer back, and she would be gentle and patient, and now it was all over, and there was no use in her ever trying again. It would end in the father's having to turn comforter, but he was a wise comforter, never shutting his eyes for a moment to the fault on Esther's side, while he, with equal frankness, admitted that she was sorely tried. Esther was sure to go from the study in a genuinely humble mood ready, even anxious, to beg Aunt Sarah's pardon, although this function had its trials. "'Of course,' would Aunt Sarah say with dignity, "'I'll forgive you. I hope I know my duty. But I should think you would grow tired of asking forgiveness. You know you will flame out at me again at the first opportunity. I don't see that you gain a particle in the matter of controlling your temper.' but the trials of the girl of fifteen were as nothing compared with those of the young woman of eighteen. It was about that time that Aunt Sarah's views concerning Esther's friendship with the boys seemed to have undergone a change. At least she chose out one boy and elected him to become Esther's especial property. He was a good-natured, ignorant, awkward country boy, or young man, as he called himself, and as Aunt Sarah was careful to call him. To Esther's infinite annoyance and embarrassment, young Joram Pratt sympathized most heartily with Aunt Sarah's views, and made strenuous efforts to establish the sort of intimacy between Esther and himself, which would be recognized in the parlance of his circle of friends as keeping company. He lavished whole boxes of peppermint drops and other sweets upon her, and, discovering that she loved flowers, brought her bouquets, fearfully and wonderfully made, in which all the colors of the rainbow met and quarrelled. In vain did Esther protest and beg her mother in her absence to protect her from these gifts, which Aunt Sarah, always on the alert, was sure to receive and accept with smiling face. The busy mother would hurry to the door, or more often the gate, only in time to get a glimpse of Joram's broad, good-natured face in the near distance, and to hear Aunt Sarah's voice calling after him, "'I'll tell her all about it, Joram. "'She'll be sure to like them. "'She's real fond of tulips.' "'Mother,' would Esther say, her face aflame, "'what am I to do? "'It is disgraceful. "'He thinks I am encouraging him, "'and he talks about me at the store in the post-office. "'He calls me his best girl. "'Mother, I simply cannot endure this thing any longer.' "'The distressed mother made an effort to comfort her. "'Dear child, I know it is very trying.' but your aunt doesn't mean to be annoying, and there will not be any real harm done. Joram is not so foolish as to construe the kindness she shows him as coming from you. Of course he understands that we are all his good friends, and that he is on precisely the same footing as the other young people of the church. He doesn't dream of anything more than that, I am sure. I wish you wouldn't distress yourself by imagining that he does." "'but Aunt Sarah meant much more than that and was outspoken, at least to Esther. "'You needn't turn up your nose at Joram Pratt, my lady. "'There are plenty of worse chances than that in the world. "'He will have a well-stocked farm of his own one of these days "'and will know how to manage it. "'And he is honest and good-natured and ready to get down on the floor "'and let you walk over him if you like. "'I don't know what more you want or at least expect.' I should think you would be grateful to him for choosing you out of all the crowd of girls there are here. There isn't a young man in the neighborhood with better prospects than Joram Pratt has. Young man, would burst from Esther's angry lips. He is nothing but an ignorant, awkward, red-haired boy. But Aunt Sarah was ready for her. He is almost twenty-one and has settled down to steady work like the sensible fellow that he is, I don't see that he is any more ignorant than the rest of the people out here. If it comes to that, what are you but an ignorant brown-haired westerner? Here you are, away out at the end of civilization, one may say, and not the slightest prospect of ever getting anywhere else. It isn't as though you had been brought up in the sphere to which your mother once belonged. You may as well make up your mind to take what chance you can get. If you turn scornfully away from a respectable, well-to-do young man like Joram Pratt, merely because he doesn't match some of your silly, sentimental ideas, mark my words, you will live to regret it. Remember, your father is only a home missionary, poor as a church mouse. It is hard work now for him to feed and clothe you, and there isn't the slightest hope of his ever having a better salary. And there is your mother, who was brought up in luxury without having to lift a finger unless she chose slaving her life away. If their daughter doesn't plan for them, I wonder who will. If you were the kind of girl you ought to be, you would think of the comforts you could bring to this house simply by marrying Joram Pratt, to say nothing of the comfort it would be to your father to have you well provided for and off his hands. Joram is just as generous as he can be, you can tell that by the way he wastes fruits and candies on you. I have no manner of doubt but that he would do for your folks about what you wanted him to. You prayed a good deal about education, but Joram has enough to look after his taxes all right, and his bank account, and I'm sure you haven't a great deal more yourself, nothing but a little western public school to attend. Your mother graduated from one of the most expensive young women's colleges in the East, The girl would make a brave effort to control her fierce anger and speak with outward calm. Aunt Sarah, don't you believe that people who marry should love each other? Love, Aunt Sarah would repeat the word as though it represented a nauseous dose. For pity's sake, don't talk such twaddle to me. I've seen enough of it. I suppose you get those sentimental notions from your mother, though. She used to talk in the same strain. She married for love, too, and see what a mess she has made of it. Then would the long-controlled anger blaze. Esther, who had retreated to the window, in the hope that a view of her father hoeing lustily on his potato patch would help to keep her tongue in check, turned from it and spoke with energy. "'Aunt Sarah, you may say anything you please about me, and I'll try to bear it. I ought to be used to it, I am sure. But if you say a single word against my father,' You will find that you have gone too far. That I will not listen to. Hoity-toity, sneered Aunt Sarah. What is the matter with her now? Flare up and strut about like a little rooster, I would. It is a pity Joram couldn't see you. He would discover that you are not always such an angel of light as he fancies. What did I say, I wonder, to ruffle your feathers? Everybody knows that your father was and is and always will be a poor man, and that your mother went out of her own set to marry him. I thought at the time that it was a piece of folly that father ought not to have allowed, but she wouldn't listen to reason any better than her daughter will. I'm her own sister, and it is likely I know what I am talking about. It was then that Esther said the plainest word she had ever spoken to her aunt. I know you are, and nothing about you is a greater mystery than that. How two people so utterly unlike as you and mother can be sisters is a problem. If you did not belong to us at all, we could bear it better. She closed the door through which she was retreating, with the last word, and did not hear even the beginning of her aunt's excited reply. It was two hours afterward that a red-eyed, swollen-faced young woman presented herself at the door of Aunt Sarah's room and spoke low and rapidly. "'Aunt Sarah, I want to ask your forgiveness for what I said this morning. I was angry, or I would never have spoken so to you. But that is no excuse, and I don't want to make any excuse. I just want to say, forgive me.' "'Aha, my lady,' said Aunt Sarah. "'I thought your father would make you eat humble pie for your impudence. Oh, I'll forgive you, of course. I'm used to it, you know. But if I were you, I would try to control that awful temper.' The first thing you know, the people who think now that you are just about on a par with the angels will hear of it. Such things leak out. You needn't be afraid of me, I shall keep still. But there are others watching you, and some of them would almost give their eyes for a little attention from Joram Pratt, and if he should find out the kind of girl you are when you are angry, you might not have so much chance to turn the cold shoulder to him. I know what I am talking about, and I warn you as a friend.' There are girls who can appreciate that young man, if you can't. There was nothing for Esther but silence and retreat. The rage she had thought subdued flamed up afresh, and she dare not trust herself to words. Better to remain under the imputation that she cared what Joram Pratt thought or did, than to run the risk of hurting her father and mother again that day. That evening the quiet little woman whom the missionary had brought with him when he came out west, "'sat with him in his study, sewing steadily on the ever-present mending. "'From time to time she glanced at her husband, busy with his pen and books. "'At last he tossed down the pen and pushed the largest books from him, "'drawing his open Bible nearer with the air of a man who had worked hard "'and now meant to take a little refreshment. "'Then she spoke. "Spencer, if you are through with study for to-night, can you spare a little time to me?' "'There was a note in her voice that called for sympathy, "'and Mr. Randall gave her a very tender smile as he said heartily, "'Of course I can, dear. There is always time for you. "'By the way, am I to go for Esther?' "'No, the Webster girls will be there, and the Bentons.' "'To say nothing of Joram Pratt,' said the father with an amused smile, "'but his wife did not smile. "'It is about Esther that I want to talk,' she said. "'I really don't know what we can do.' but it seems as though something ought to be done. That boy simply persecutes the child. At first she felt she could not go tonight, although she had promised, and she sent over to make sure that the Websters were going before she would dress. She told me this afternoon that she could not endure this sort of thing any longer, and I don't blame her. If poor Sarah would only... Yes, that is the trouble, said the father, after waiting in vain for his wife to finish her sentence. I could make things plain to Joram, I believe, without hurting the poor fellow's feelings too much, were it not that her constant kindnesses mislead him. It isn't simply her kindnesses, Randall. She says things to him about Esther in such a way that she seems to be quoting from the child. And it does no good for me to talk to her. In fact, it makes matters worse. She thinks I am working against the best interests of my daughter, and that she must help her in spite of me. Spencer, she actually thinks that Esther ought to be urged to marry that boy. Preposterous, said the father. If we could only—' Then an abrupt pause, after which he laughed with an air of a man who felt a shamefaced laugh, was all that was left to him. Not for the world would he say to this long-suffering woman that if they could contrive a way to separate her sister from their daughter's life for a while, the rest might be managed.' There was nothing to be gained by saying anything of the kind. Neither home could raise the necessary funds for Aunt Sarah to take the long journey eastward, even had there been no other obstacle, but there was. End of chapter four. Recording by Tricia G.